What a, what a great question. Why should I gain from his reward? Um, I think there will be a, a piece of, of heaven that, um, where we gather around that throne and um, we never quite get the answer. Um, and, and that's why eternity doesn't get boring. I, I mean, because we're constantly amazed and in awe and that question is never quite resolved. Why should we gain from his reward? Oh, man. Um, I pray that that question would haunt us a little bit. Um, not in a way where we don't believe it, but just in a way that it would, it would drive us and it would get in us in a way that, that stirs us um, and, and that it would get in us in a way that gets out of us. I've, um, I've often heard it said, there's just no difference between people who follow Jesus and people who don't. I mean, you look at it statistically and within the church, you've heard that said maybe. Divorce is about the same rate as it is outside the church. People within the church struggle with the same things, the same, the same sins that people who don't know Jesus with. We, we wrestle with them and we can't get over them. Have you, have you heard that statement? There's just not that much difference. And as a as a pastor and as a, just as a follower of Jesus, I, I wrestle with that because when I read scripture, it just seems like, man, it should make all the difference in the world. And yet the way that we walk and the way that we live sometimes is just a mirror of the world around us. I, I want us to, if you have a Bible, will you flip to the book of Genesis? And, and we're going to start here this morning and we will We'll end up and, and spend the majority of our time in Ephesians, but if you have a Bible, just turn over to Genesis chapter 32. And I want to read one of the stranger stories that we have in our scriptures. Now, if you know the Bible at all, that should be a little bit intriguing to you because there are some strange stories in scripture. And here's the way this one goes, okay? This is a story about a guy named Jacob who had a brother that he was at odds with. Um, that's to say it lightly. And he was going to meet him for the first time in a long time. And this is an encounter that he has along the way. Chapter 32, starting in verse 22, it says, That same night he arose, and he hears a guy named Jacob, and he took his two wives. And we don't have time for that this morning. I'm sorry. We're... <laughs> his two female servants. Someday we'll get there, just not today. And his 11 children. And he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them, and he sent them across the stream and everything else he had and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, um, we don't get a whole lot of background. Here it's called a man. Later on it's going to say that, that Jacob wrestled with God. But either way, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall? I mean, he's camping. And then all of a sudden, WWF, WrestleMania breaks out. We don't know if there's like flying elbows or if it's more of like a Greco-Roman style with clear rules. I'm not sure how this happens or what this looks like. All I know is that I would love to have been a fly on the wall to watch it happen. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. They are getting after it. And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. Evidently, you can only wrestle at night. So um, <laughs> as it gets light, you get a little bit embarrassed that you have somebody in a headlock or you're jumping off the top ropes with an elbow. I'm not sure. But it says, let me go for day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
And he said to him, what's your name? And Jacob said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up on him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Isn't it interesting? See, see, Jacob has this encounter with God, and he leaves that place different. He leaves that place with a limp. And we don't know exactly what that limp looked like, and we don't even really know how long he had that limp, but I would like to think that Jacob walked with a little bit of a limp for his whole life. I'd like to think that maybe you could see Jacob coming from a distance, from a, from a long way off, and that you would know it was him just because of the limp. And how do you really, how do you explain that to your friends? I mean, you show back up to your friends and your family, and you're dragging a leg, and they say, what happened? And you say, it's sort of a long story, but I got in a fight, I got in a brawl, I wrestled with God. And I mean, every day you limp, and every step you take, you're reminded, I've been touched by the God of the universe. And see, here's the deal, friends. Here's the deal, that the gospel has such amazing power that it's not just Jacob who limps after he encounters the God of the universe. See, the, the way that this whole relationship with Jesus is designed is that we would be changed as well, that we would be forever changed, that, that every step we take would be a little bit different, that there'd be some, a sort of a limp to our walk. There'd be something different about our stride. There'd be a different way that we interact with people. There'd be a different way that we live our lives, that there would be something about us where people would go. They walk a little bit different. And I want to talk this morning about what it looks like to walk with this gospel limp to be so impacted by the God of the universe and the grace given to us through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross that that would flow down into our life and that it would change the way that we live, that it would change the way that we walk. Flip back over to Ephesians and let me show you the way that, that Paul does this. In his letter to this church that he helped start, these people that he dearly loves, and he's gonna write to them about how they're invited to walk just a little bit different because I think Paul would go, no, 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 no. There's supposed to be something different about us. There's something different about us. There's something different about the way that we walk. And let me show you the way that he writes this to the Ephesian church. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Therefore... There we go. Therefore, what's it there for? We'll get to it in just a second. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. This is a, this is a limp. This is a different stride. Not a limp in a bad way, but just a limp that says, hey, there's something different about us. 
Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And we're going to learn a few things this morning about what the gospel limp looks like, but here's the very first thing that Paul says. is He says, we walk in confidence knowing that we are beloved children of the king. We're beloved children of the king. Now, now here, let me just point out a key distinction. Uh, And we could miss this, and people have sat in church for decades, and they've missed the fact that we imitate God and we seek after God because we are loved and because we are children, not in order to become loved and to become children. Do you get that? There's a a big difference. He says, listen, this is what you are. So so walk in it. So live it out. So imitate your your father. Honor him because of your identity. Because Jesus has said, you are my children. And see, I think so many of us live under this burden of performance. And we think, hey, all right, God. If, if, I can, if I can do X, Y, and Z, then you will say, welcome, welcome, I love you. And that's, friends, that's not the gospel at all. That, that may be religion, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is that in spite of your failing and in spite of your sin and in spite of falling short, Jesus loved you and he paid for you. And that may be, you may hear nothing else this morning, but I want you to hear that you don't become children by obeying, but you obey because you are called children of the Most High God. And see, here's what Paul thinks. Paul thinks that if this church gets that, that they're going to walk a little bit different, that they're going to walk with some sort of confidence because they know that they are loved by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that they know that they are protected, that they know they are provided for. He thinks, man, if they know this, oh, they're going to love to imitate their dad. Look at the way that um, one of Jesus' friends, John, puts it when he says, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God And so we are. So definitive, isn't it? It's like, and so we are. It's who we are. It's not who we hope to be. It's not who we will be when we get it together. It's who we are. And because it's who we are, we long to imitate our dad. That's what Paul says. We want to be like him. We want to be like him because we know that there's joy that awaits us, that there's life that awaits us. We love him. Um, When I became a father, one of the things that I became keenly aware of within the first few, really two years of being a dad was that my kids were watching every move I made. And that was both exhilarating, that was both exciting and a little bit like, hey... (laughs) They like me. And it was terrifying because I saw them do things and I thought, oh my goodness, I do that. I do that. And I don't necessarily want them doing that. (laughs) And I saw them say things and I thought, I said that. 
Oh, no. I had a, my son said to me the other day, here's a, a picture. He says to me, Daddy, I'm sorry, but it's time for me to go to work. <laughs> and he said it wearing those mittens and that striped shirt and those plaid shorts. And so I'm not, not imitation as far as um, style goes, really. But he's heard it said a lot of times, sorry, buddy, it's time for me to go to work. And he just, he, he imitates me, whether I want him to or not. Let me ask you, are you, are you, do you imitate your father in heaven? See, see, he imitates me. Our kids imitate us because, because they spend a ton of time with us. Do you spend enough time with God to be like him? They, they imitate us. He imitates me because he observes me. Do you observe your father in heaven? He imitates me because he thinks I'm awesome. And, and I know every parent who has kids that are either in middle school or older, you're going, just wait, dude. And I get it. I know that there's an, an inverse relationship between how old they get and how awesome they think I am until about the age of 10, and then it starts to go like this. I get it. I'm going to enjoy it while it is. He thinks I'm awesome. Hey, when you look at your father, do you think the same thing? He's amazing. He's good. And we want to be like him, not in order to become children, but we are children. See, imitation requires observation. It requires time. It requires trust. It requires respect. Are those things true about your relationship with Jesus? See, and, and he even puts a guard up in here. Because how do we know if we're really imitating our Father? How do we know if we're really imitating God? And he says, we walk in love. See, there's a lot of people out there who claim, they claim to be imitating God. But this is the litmus test. This is how we know. And so there's people who set up protests at funerals of soldiers killed. And their claim is, hey, we're imitating our Father. Well, let's just, let's try the litmus test. Are they walking in love? And see, that's how we know. We imitate God by walking in love as Christ loved us. Hey, man, we imitate our daddy, and our limp is a little bit different than the rest of the world. Why? Because we're confident in the love that he gives us, and that frees us to say, let me be a fragrant offering to the world around me in the same way that Jesus was for me. When I was a sinner, when I was in need, when I was an enemy, when, as we sang, I was running my hell-bound race, he stepped in and he rescued. And when you get it, it just makes a little bit of a different stride in your step. That's what Paul says. And he goes on. He goes on, and I want you to jump down to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, just a, a few verses down, and we're going to go back, and we're going to circle back and talk about all that we skip over in between. But I want to point out this next sort of piece of the gospel limp. And he says, For at one time 
I love it. Throughout this whole book, Paul's going to consistently point back to who you were, and he's going to point you towards who you are. And he loves that contrast because he thinks, listen, if he can get a church of people to actually believe who they were and really own that, and also to believe who they are, that it could potentially change the world. For at one time, you were darkness. Now, not you were in darkness. You were darkness. See, sin is not just a behavior problem. It's an, it's an identity problem. We were dead, right? You were darkness, this is what he's saying. But now you are what? Light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So this is the next piece of the limp that Paul points out. And he says, listen, we walk as followers of Jesus. Our walk is a, a little bit different because we walk in understanding. We know darkness, we know light, and we know the invitation of Jesus. We walk in understanding, enjoying the fruit of obedience. Isn't that beautiful? There's fruit that accompanies relationship with God. And so this isn't just dutiful obedience. It's, it's disciplined delight. It's not just I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to pull up my bootstraps and I'm going to be different. He says, no, 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 no. You are different. Realize it. And walk in it. And let's go back to verse 3. Because he's going to unpack. Uh, he's talking about specifically what this looks like for the Ephesian church. And he says this in verse 3. And we're going to look at the explanation for this invitation. We're going we're to look at the implications of not living this way and then what God lays out for those who would walk in obedience with him. And he says this, But sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Just really quick, because I love this. It's all over the scriptures. He's going to start even this section, which is proper among saints. So he's going to go, hey, 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 hey. Before we talk about behavior... Let me remind you, or as we're talking about it, let me remind you again of your motivation. You're different. There's a, there's a limp. You're different. You're saints. Turn the person next to you and go, you're a saint. See, if you're married, that may be the first time you've ever said that to that person. <laughs> you are, if you are a follower of Jesus you're, you are saints. Literally, the word means people who belong to God. Look at the way that Peter writes it, and he says this. But you, talking about followers of Jesus, are a chosen race. And he's not talking about the color of your skin. He says, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He called you out. He made you different. Why? so that you might proclaim the excellencies, the goodness, the grace, 
the mercy of him who called you out of darkness and into light. And can I just say, friends, that we proclaim his excellencies best when our souls are saturated and satisfied in the presence of him. And so he's going, come in a little bit deeper. Come in a little bit deeper. And let no sexual immorality Impurity. See, sexual immorality, in the, in the Greek, it's the word, word porneia, which is where we get our English word pornography from. And it's sort of this dump truck term for Paul and even in the culture there, where it just sort of was this blanket statement, this, this like idea of anything, any sort of sexual contact or, contact or any sort of sexual activity outside of marriage. Now, for this culture in this time, the Ephesian church was, was obviously located in Ephesus, but in Ephesus, there was also one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which was the temple of Artemis. She was this Greek god, um, and they worshipped her. One of the ways that she was worshipped was by people coming and having sex with temple prostitutes. And so this was the thing in Ephesus. People would come into town, and they would worship the goddess of Artemis, in that way, in that town. And so when Paul writes to this church, he's writing pretty specifically to a context that they have been called out of. And he reminds them, this is no longer who you are. It's who you were, but it's not who you are. Can you imagine? I mean, he's calling them saints. Imagine some of the darkness that these people and this church have seen some of the things that they've been a part of, some of the things that they've participated in. But what he says to them, what he says to them is that it no longer fits. In the, in the ESV, it's, it's, it's no longer proper, but it's this idea of, of, of trying on clothes that are just like way too big or too small. And he goes, because of what Jesus has done and because of who you are and the change that he's made internally, your, your children, your saints, this just doesn't fit anymore. It's like trying on clothes that just don't work anymore, that just don't fit. And he doesn't mince words with his church, friends. He does not mince words at all. He says it's not proper, and he says let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And he addresses what's, what's often our mindset is, how close can I get without it being sin? And he says, wrong question, wrong question. The question isn't how close can I get, but it's how far away can I stay? I love the way that the message translates this. It says, don't talk dirty or silly. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Thanksgiving is our dialect. And I wonder for, for how many of us have we, have we flirted with this idea way too long. And in a room this size, I, I know that there are, and this isn't just a guy problem anymore, that this is a people problem, that there are people 
trapped in addictions and pornography, that there's marriages that are on the rocks and you're thinking about maybe having an affair or maybe already have. That this isn't a, an Ephesus problem. This is a, a people problem. And as you read this, your initial inclination is, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm too far down that road. I'm just, I'm gonna check out. And can I say, can I just say to you this morning, in, in, in love, please don't. Please stay with me because there, there is hope. There is hope. It's going to get a little darker first, but there's hope. I love the way that Warren Wearsby um, puts it when he says this. Two indications of a person's character are what makes him laugh and what makes him weep. And I wonder if the things that sometimes make us laugh really should bring us to our knees. He continues. He continues. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, so he just went sexually immoral, impure, or you want something your neighbor has, it's not yours. Seems like a leap, but here he's going to tie it in. That is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So here's what he says. If we continue to walk this way, if this is the way that we continue to live, if, this, if we put this jacket on and it fits right, there's no way we know Jesus. It's not just sort of clean up your act and then he'll accept you back. It's, it's just not fitting. If, if the limp isn't there, then we haven't been touched. We haven't had that encounter with God. That's his point. And, and I don't want to come down on you hard this morning, although it's really clear here. Let no one deceive you with empty words so we can say all we want about Jesus. But if it fits us to continue to walk in this way, it says... The wrath of God, the, the discipline, the punishment for sin comes. And if there isn't something inside of us that goes, thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your grace to a person like me, that, that I want to honor you, that I want to lift you high, that I want to praise you, that I want to worship you. If our heart isn't stirred for that, then maybe we don't know him. And it's, it's not, hey, if you struggle with these things, then you aren't a follower of Jesus. That's not his tone at all. His tone is if you continue to walk in them, and if you continue to be disobedient, then there's no way you know the King of kings and the Lord of lords, because when he touches you, you walk a little bit. I love the way that the Westminster Catechism puts it when, when it says, just as there is no sin so small that it deserves damnation, there is no sin so great that it bring damnation on those who truly repent. So his question is, you walk a little different. He doesn't end there, though. He says there's, there's hope. Listen to the way that he goes on. For at one time, 
You were darkness. We already read this, but it's just so good, we've got to read it again. You were darkness. That's who you were. Those things fit when you put them on. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. That's our different limp. We, we walk in understanding, knowing what God's invited us to, knowing what he's called to. And listen what he writes after that. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right. And he says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Isn't it great that we have the scriptures where we know because of the book of Hebrews, and he says it's without faith, it's impossible to please him, that, that we can discern what pleases him because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and we know that as we cling to him and as our, we are captivated by his cross and the grace he showered down on us, that we can discern what brings him honor and what brings him pleasure in our life. Remember the trap, though, is thinking that if we please him, He's more pleased with us. That's, that's, the, that's a little bit of a trap here. Just know. He's, he's pleased because of Jesus. This is a desire to honor him and lift him high because he's, he's our daddy. And so Paul says, listen, as you walk in the light, you, you get to do that. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Notice there is fruit that accompanies obedience, that accompanies living in the light, following him. And see, this is Paul fighting for this church's joy. He goes, listen, I don't want you to settle for the death of sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, greed. I want you to experience the fruit of living in the light. That's his longing. He is battling for their joy. He's battling for their joy. And he says, listen, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but ex instead expose them. For it's shameful to even speak of things that are done in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, which is you, it becomes visible. I can remember as a, um, right after my freshman year of college, I got a job um, over the summer as a framer, which should be comical to you if you know me at all. I mean, I got on the job site and was like, hey, what's this thing? And they're like, it's a hammer, you idiot. Come on. Who did we hire? And they said, all right, here's a broom. Start sweeping. And here's a, a pile of, of wood. Bring it from the front of the house to the back of the house. And I'm going, are you guys making up stuff for me to do? Like, I had a good friend who invited me to have this job. Now, most of our crew was from Baston. And they were also construction workers. And you can imagine that the language on our job site was quite um, colorful, to say the least. And, and I didn't say anything at all. I mean, I said, I said nothing to them about their language, but I just didn't participate. <laughs> and so we're sitting around um, the job site one lunch, and they say, hey, Polly. And I was like, hey, Polly, you don't cuss at all, huh? And I said, no, nah, I just don't really see the need. And they said, hey, I bet we sound like idiots when we're saying this. <laughs> and I said, hey, you said it, not me. 
and they're like, I bet we could think of better words. I kid you not. These are grown men talking about their language around this just lunchtime as we're sitting on this floor. And they go, all right, we're going to try the rest of the day not to cuss at all. Now that lasted about a half hour. (laughs) But for the rest of the summer, they called me Johnny No Cuss. And listen, did I say anything about, no, no, it was just, hey, I'm going to live differently. And here's the key. As we live differently, as we walk differently in proximity to people who aren't followers of Jesus. See, that's key. A lot of us as followers of Jesus, we want to create our safe place bubble. And what Paul says is, no, 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 no. Light exposes darkness. It's not afraid of it. It it walks with darkness. It encounters darkness. And when it does it, it brings it up. And so it's the person at your work where everybody else is trying to get ahead and you take on the posture of a servant and you serve the people at your work. People will notice. I guarantee it. You, You walk in integrity. When the world around you wants to cut corners, people will notice People will notice. Guys, you you love your wife like Christ loved his church. People will notice. And it brings it up. And it exposes it. And it creates an invitation. Whether people understand it as that or not, it creates an invitation. And listen to the way that Paul writes about this invitation. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake sleeper. Awake. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let me tell you very clearly, there is no darkness that is so dark that it's unaffected by light. You cannot find darkness that is too dark to be influenced by the light. It's impossible And so Jesus' invitation to his church isn't continue to live in shame, continue to live in hiding because of the things that you've been through, but he says, will you come out of hiding? Are you tired of being defeated by hidden sin? He says, come out. And not come out so I can club you over the head and let you know how big of an idiot you are. That's not it. He says, come out. Let the dead be raised. Let Christ shine on you. And isn't it a beautiful thing that the person shining on us is the same person that that the book of John writes about where he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, friends, his invitation is to understanding and to walk in joy and to walk in light. And my prayer this whole week has been that the Holy Spirit would stir in this moment, that there'd be some of you that would be tired enough of running from him, that you'd decide this morning to run to him. You see, the things that we keep hidden keep us in chains. Jesus says, hey, arise, awaken. Let me, Jesus, 
the author of life, the giver of it all, the God of grace and mercy that's new today. Say, will you wake up? Are you tired enough? Come to me. Come to me. There's this different limp. There's this different walk. And he says, finally, look carefully then how you walk. That's a good, that's a good encouragement. Do you have the gospel limp? Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time. Literally, it means redeem the time. Not time on a watch. It's, it's redeem the opportunities. God is bringing them into your life. Redeem them because the days are evil. See, if we're not intentional and we don't redeem the time, then where we naturally get to is where our culture gets to. And it's not good, and it doesn't bring fruit, and it doesn't bring life. And so he says, examine the way that you walk. Redeem the time because the days are evil, and if people are coasting, that's where they're ending up. But not you. Not you. You're different. You're different. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. And so Paul's last limp that he talks about is that we walk with intentionality, believing that we make an eternal impact. He says, redeem it. Know that when you walk into work on Monday, God has a plan for you there. There's a purpose for you there. It's not an accident that you're in this room this morning. It's not an accident that you were born into the family that you were born into. It's not an accident that you live in this area. It's not an accident. It's the divine sovereign hand of God. And he says, redeem the time. Make the most of it. You remember back in Ephesians chapter 2 where he wrote, you are God's workmanship, his poetry, his song created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. That you'd walk into them, literally. Hey, that makes you walk a little bit different. That God has a, has a purpose for you. And here's the thing, friends. He doesn't just have a purpose for you as an individual. He has a purpose for us. That we might be a church that says to him, Jesus, we want to redeem the time. Whatever time you've given us on this earth, we want to make the most of it. Father, help us stop praying so small and help us dream about what you might do in our midst. Because why? Because the days are evil and people need Jesus. And we long to see people walk in the joy and the light and the fruit of the gospel. Help us redeem the time. And see, we walk a little bit different. As though God himself had touched us, there's a, there's a limp. There's a limp in this confidence that we're his children and there's nothing that changes that. Nothing. There's this limp where we long to be obedient, that it's dutiful delight. We long to honor him. We long to lift him high because we know that there's joy that awaits us. 
and we dream about and we are intentional about the way he might use our lives for his glory and for his name. And here's the deal, friends. Don't miss this. The only reason that you can walk with a limp is because he walked and limped to the cross. That Jesus walked to the cross with all of your sin and with all of your shame and with all of the things that you're trying with all of your might to hide and to keep covered up. He said, I'm paying for it all. And he said, it's finished. And if he said it's finished and he paid for it already, then his invitation to you is awake, O sleeper. Arise and let me shine on you. And I pray that this morning, some of you might be tired enough of hiding and running that you might just fall down and submit to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who says, I love you and I always will, and who says, it is finished. Run to me. Stop hiding. Find grace and mercy and life abundant. You are light. You are saints. You are children. Know it. And may it change the way that we walk. Jesus, we...